Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. another edition of Swoops World Late Night. It is October 21st, 2015, and we are going to be uh, talking to Anthony Davis here, USC great, five-time national champion, chatting with him about what's happening over at USC at his alma mater, what's going on with the football program over there. Uh, Looking forward to chatting with him in just a second. We're going to give him a call, and uh, let's get this thing started. What do you say? There you go. This is him. Good evening. We'd like to welcome to the show five-time national champion, two-time All-American, NFL, USFL, CFL, all the FLs, our good friend and colleague, Anthony Davis, back to the show. How you doing, AD? Doing good. Doing good. Man, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and even even in times like this. We're going to jump right into your alma mater, man. Uh, what Did you ever think you'd be longing back for the Lane Kiffin era, huh? Well, it's unbelievable, you know. I mean, I've never seen any, uh, you know, all times I've been, <clears throat> all times I've been affiliated with USC over the years, I've never seen the action of the change of coaching so, so quickly. Yeah. You know, I played in the John McKay era where, you know, John McKay decided to leave USC, go down to the professional like Tampa Bay, but he was the athletic director and, uh, also the head coach. But if you, if you, Look forward to what what we've seen here currently. I mean, Lane Kiffin, then Sarkeesian, and that's very, in, in my opinion, and any and some people might disagree with. Most people will dis would agree with me. When you have coaching changes like that, that's very disruptive to your program. Right. And the end of the day, the end of the day, who ends up getting hurt is the kids. So that's the reason why whenever I see a kid today, and I talk to their parents, uh, just in general, because you can't really promote your school and stuff. I tell them, look, when you go to a university, first of all, look at the school academically, how it fits you. 
period, number one. Right. Because if you're just going there solely on what a coach says and what he's going to do, he's going to do that, and he's fired the next year, too, then the kid is there holding the bag. And so, therefore, you know, if, if anything happens like that, at least you know you're in sync with the school and what you want to go there for, academically, then athletically. That's what you got to think first. So the people who are listening to this broadcast would have to feel for the, for the student athlete because now – even though they, they embrace his new coach, but still it's a tough situation because he wants to put his own wrinkles in as, as a coach. And and the thing is, you cannot change gears in the middle of the season when you have a coaching change like that. Now, that's happened twice already with Ed Ogeron, with Lane Kiffin, and now, you know, Sarkeesian with, with the new coach, current coach now. So uh, that's very disruptive for a program like USC because traditionally they've always known to have, you know, the top-tier schools in the country. You know, A.D., um, truth of the matter is, you talk to a lot of historians, and, uh, you know, when it comes to the NCAA football, you were, you know, it's, it's bandied about all the time. The, 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 the years you played at SC were probably the greatest years of uh, SC football, and they said, you know, a couple of those games are the greatest games in, in uh, NCAA history. That's a legacy that is left for that campus um, you know, what are the alumni, uh, you know, former All-Americans, uh, you know, boosters, what do they feel about what's happening with the program over, over all these years? Well, of course, you know, I work with a different a lot of people in the real estate business who happen to be UFC people, and I work in affiliation with, you know, uh, with the company I'm with, Green Law Partners in Orange County. They all ask me, you know, you know, a lot of them who seen, saw me play, saw me after was at the USC. They said, you know, uh, your your teammates and yourself, you set the standard. And, 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 it's, and it's sort of unfortunate. I mean, when you have that kind of pressure coming in with the great teams, and we played in the, I played in the Golden Era, the greatest time as far as I'm concerned in school history. And uh, the fact that the school is in a turmoil like that is very disturbing to alumnus that I've talked to. Even though they're very loyal, loyal to the university, but also they know that the kind of talent they have over there, especially in, in the football program, that shouldn't be that way. So I get in course of the last couple of months, I've been getting hit everywhere I go based on, you know, what's wrong with USC? How come the program can turn around? Even some people even question whether or not it is anywhere. Do I have any kind of say to him? I said, well, no, I'm not. I'm going outside looking in just like you are. Yeah. But the bottom line is they do ask me constantly, What's wrong with the program? Because a lot of people feel that I'm really close to the athletic department. Well, these days I'm really not. The only really affiliation I have with the university now uh, in terms of my communicating purposes is Annenberg School of Communication, and I deal with a guy by the name of Jeremy Rosenberg over there. Right. So I haven't, I've never had, really had any deep conversations with Pat Hayden, my ex-teammate. Uh, I've talked to J.K. McKay uh, this one time this year. And that's about it. I have no consultation with the university in terms of athletic period. Not even just talking to just my old team sakes of my teammates, Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay. I have no communication with those two individuals. Well, here's the thing: is is it's interesting because uh, you know whether or not you you're, you're in communication with those people, you, you know, you left a legacy, and people, you know, people, fans, people like myself, uh, you know, we remember those those years. I've been long, lifelong fans of the school. Uh, expect a lot out of the school, and uh, you know we, we, we saw some some good times, uh, you know, years past. But uh, 
you know, under, and I know you, you don't really have a comment on this. This is just me making a statement here, but under your, uh, your teammates, uh, tutelage there, I mean, we've seen the, some of the, some of the worst years, uh, on, on campus there with, with the school. One of the things I want to ask you about though, is, uh, let's talk about, um, Sarkeesian, uh, obviously, you know, he's got a problem. He needs to take care of and he's gone through some stuff in his life and needs to deal with it. But, you know, as a, as a, a parent, uh, you know, who, who's had, you know, a child who's gone to, gone to college and stuff, you know, when you see a, a coach like that do the things he, he did, uh, you know, at the, at the rally and, and some of the stuff that was said about him on the field and some of the history apparently that's come out uh, when he's at Washington, you know, as a parent, uh, how would you feel if you, if you had a kid, you know, playing under the, uh, somebody, uh, that leadership? Well, first of all, I would have a concern. I mean, I mean if anybody's concerned, you have, you have an 18-year-old son that's going to a prominent university like that, and you're going as a student athlete, and then all of a sudden you see something like this happen with a guy. And obviously, it's a disease. I understand that Sarkeesian is a nice guy, a nice man. Uh, I mean, a lot of people question, you know, his, 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 his head coaching ability. But at the end of the day, a parent that has a kid to go to put his, hand, put, put his child's hands into a, a, a leadership position where Sarkeesian's in, that's a concern for them. They want they want to know that their child can go to a university, and and uh, and have a situation where he's going to be nourished both on the field and academically, and show leadership through the head coach. Right. And obviously, you know that did not that's not happening because he's no longer there. And, and the swapping with coaches was based on when they got recruited. Sarkeesian's going to be there. See, that's what I was talking about earlier. He's not there anymore. Yeah. So if he if if if, he, if these people going to school there academic and athletically and expecting Sarkeesian to be there, he's not there. That's the reason why I said don't depend on what coach says because coaching is gone the next month or the next year or the next two years. So you go there based on your need for the school. But I'm sure that this is very disturbing to the to the student athletes' parents because they expecting this man to be here and show true leadership to their kids. One of the things we, we've seen over the last few weeks, uh, you know, we talk about uh, recruitment. Uh, you are highly recruited coming out of high school. You talk about recruitment and, uh, and these guys, they commit to a school. Uh, they see the program in, in turmoil and they decommit. Uh, you know, the school, you know, school lives and dies by, uh, by their new recruits. Uh, you know, they talk about, well, we've got this many blue chip athletes this many coming in and this, you know, the top, top this, top that. And uh, when, you, when you have a situation like that where these top recruits start de- decommitting, uh, start looking elsewhere, what does that do to the program? How does that affect the program? Well, first of all, first of all, look, SC is still living off their great tradition. I mean, and, and, and people who are listening to this, they'll probably say, well, this is, well, yes, yesteryear. But, well, yesteryear was the greatest time in the school's history. Yeah. Yesteryear had the greatest team of all time. Yesteryear they saw the, the greatest performance in college football history, one game in particular. So I'm just saying that, that is the long-living legacy of USC. So, so you know, a lot of these kids today with the Internet, and they can pull up all the great games, my games, OJ's games, Mike Garrett's games. And whatever film clips they have on that in the history, they can Google anything they want and see the legacy of USC, and they will say, and this is and this is downturn. That and, and for you have kids who decommit with someone that's huge. I mean, that could be a snowball effect, and that be, that can be disastrous to a program. But at the end of the day, if kids they come out of high school, I've talked to people where kids just want to go to SC because it's SC. Right. Doesn't matter if they're down and out or if they're winning or losing. But at the end of the day, eventually that's going to wear off. 
because these kids today want to go to a winning program, a healthy program, and see strong leadership. So, and, and, and you can bet your bottom lot of these administrators of these high schools are, are discussing, well, you know, you know the problem is over there right now, you know the problem with this school, and it's not on USC everywhere else. So if, if you're having people decommit like that, that could be a snowball effect. That can affect your program. And, and now everybody's up in there now. They don't know if this coach is going to stay there. They don't know if, this, if, if they want to go on this program. They're going to try to go out and recruit. Now, they've already got three losses, and who knows? They can heal from this and, and win the rest of the year out, or they can lose two or three more. And right. if they lose two or three more this year, that's going to be a big-time problem. So the perception will be uh, the program is down and out, and they got to start all over. They're gonna they're gonna get they're gonna get some they're gonna get the people who are still interested in USC, but you know but if, if you lose like this and, and they're not sure on true leadership, that can affect the program big time. How do how does one uh, deal with the fact that you know SC the, the 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 personnel on that team is extremely talented, and uh, and we've seen them lose to schools. You know, you could arguably say of less talented athletes, but I mean, and get pounded by them. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the old school, you know, run, run, uh, run offense, and what you guys used to do. You know, student body right, student body left, pound it, pound it, pound it, pass when you need to. We've seen SC get beat by teams doing that exact thing. Uh, is this is this coaching? Is this uh, what's what's the cause of uh, the, the fact that? Those great, talented athletes on that campus there are losing to teams that they shouldn't be losing to. Well, here's the key. I'm, 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 and, I, and I'm repeating my to the listeners, but, but, but here it is. The talent of a coach, the talent of both a defense and offensive coordinator, is to have kids that are very talented. And the ability of that coach has to be, you have to be able to build a system around a given talent. You don't make any kid conform to a talent. Or a player, you make you build a system around the given talent. Now, you can see what Stanford's been doing. Let me, let me, let me name this group: Stanford, LSU, Alabama. That's a power. That's a those are power football programs. If you look what Stanford's been doing, is that is what ASC was forty something years ago. That's old school. Stanford's doing it old school way. So I believe that you can have a power game. You can have a spread game. You can do all this stuff. You got to let the quarterback go in the center. You can snap it from the shotgun. You got to be able to have multiple, multiple set offenses today to compete. Right. You can't, you can't, you can't spread them. You can't script the game. I don't believe in a script game because the football is a game of adjustments. You see, so yes, if anybody's questioning old school, let's go look at Stanford. <laughs> Stanford, if Stanford, first let me return, if those talented ball players that you saw on SC field with all that talent, if that if if they were in the Stanford system, oh my God, I, I wouldn't even want to know it. They would break the scoreboard <laughs> because that's the kind of talent that SC has. Right now, the first thing you'll say, well, that's coaching. Well, uh, what what you're doing is not working. Right. So right. if things don't work, you need to try to adjust something. But the thing is, you can't change, you can't adjust midstream in a season because they get acclimated to everything in spring ball, summer workout, two days, and whatever. And all of a sudden, you go to a, you, you go to a coach that's been fired 
five or six games into the year. You have this other coach that's been under the program of the Sarkeesian situation, and maybe he's trying to put some wrinkles into the offense and do something defensively as well. That's a tough thing to do. That's a tough order to do. Right, right. And the thing is, if you're going to try to do an old-school thing, and, and, and if I was the head coach, what I would do from an offense standpoint, if I got runners and wide receivers like that, I would try to put something to blend where it could be a blend of the run in the pass game and just go to a power game. And if you want to spread them out, do that. I mean, you can put, you can try to simplify it instead of being, you know, go totally sophisticated, just simplify easily and have you some block schemes where you can run the ball and throw the ball, you know, play off of the run and play off the pass. But I believe SC's talent is so superior to everybody, especially in the conference overall, that they can do that, but they just have to simplify. And I don't believe, a lot of people say, well, our defense, I don't believe that, look, defensively they can play. The problem is if you stay on the field too long, I don't yeah. care who you are, you're going to get beat. Right. That's what's happening with SC. And then, and then I don't see a lot of adjustments during the course of the game. What I look at, okay, it's a seesaw game, it's a battle. Okay, where are the judges going to be off and defensively? Well, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of that. Unless I'm just old and senile and stupid, I don't think so. <laughs> because if you talk to guys like Keyshawn Johnson and, and uh, William McGinnis and all other you know, SC great stuff who's been following this, it's very frustrating to them. I'm sure they would agree with me as well. But, but, but I'm not in the business of criticizing coaches, and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But I'm going to tell whoever's listening to this, old school works. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned old two- school works. All you need to do is blend it in with this new stuff you're trying to do. But old school workers, because at the end of the day, it's still football. Right. You know, big man, big man, big man on big man. That's what it is. You know, I mean, you, if you want to do a little finesse thing, a finesse offense, you can do a little of that. But at the end of the day, third, fourth quarter, you're going to drive that ball down to my throat. That's your intention. You mentioned a couple things, and I want to touch on those. First is, uh, and I know a lot of teams do it, and I, I just don't get this scripting the first X number of plays for the game. You know, the game changes. You know, different defensive setups change. Uh, you know, you might say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna run this one play first play of the game and, and try to catch them off guard." But you know, when you come out there, we're gonna run. You know, the, these first twenty five plays. I mean, it's a chess game out there. I I, I don't get that. What, what is what is that all about, and why are, why do so many teams do it? Well, first of all, you have a game plan the whole week. You issue the game plan on Monday. You know, obviously the quarterback has got to get it because he's leader of the offense and deal with the coaches. At the end of the day, you know, you can say this is this how we're going to tap the defense. This is what they do versus what we run. And then what you got to do, you got to take what the defense gives you, and then you got to take what you want. If you got the talent out there, you can take what you want. Period. SC has that kind of talent. You take what you want. I mean, it's unbelievable. They got it from end to end. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, all it is is a bunch of jack. Got all those bunch of jackrabbits out there running it, running in an open field on Saturday afternoon with 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 some people say with no structure, right. no structure to their talent. All I'm saying is, like I said, I can be stupid. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I doubt. I don't think people will question that. But I don't see the, the maximum of what they're doing within they're trying to do, within that system, whatever they're trying to do, with all the talent they have. Now, you take the Notre Dame-Messi game this past week, weekend, 
a lot of people will say, well, Notre Dame's not really that weak because of their injuries and stuff like that. It, it, what I said, it was, a, it was talent versus a savage system with Kelly with Notre Dame. Right. So that's what I saw, and that's what – and, and they got beat in a sort of a seesaw game. But they really haven't paid, played really the, really the top powers in the country yet. You'll see it here on the, this weekend with Utah. But, I mean, but the strength of the country is in the Midwest and the South. What's, you know, um, and I want to talk about what the rest of the schedule, but one of the things, other things you mentioned I want to touch on was adjustments. And, you know, people can say what they want. As far as I'm concerned, when Pete Carroll was at SC, I never, the best, the best adjustments, halftime adjustments ever. I, this guy, I don't know what he did at halftime, but no matter what they were doing in the first half, no matter how close the game was at the first half, he would go in and they'd come out with some, make some adjustments, and it'd be a whole, sometimes it'd be a whole different team in the second half. Um, the ability to make the proper adjustments at the right time uh, is that is that talent? Is that just knowing the game? Uh, what, what what causes that ability? What, what creates that ability? First of all, first of all, the combination of both, and see and see and Pete Carroll had a, has a knack for adjustment. I mean, that's a talent. You can't you can't you, you, you develop that over the years, and he has a knack for that. He has a natural knack for adjustment. He can sense it, he can feel it, and he sees it. That's how great Pete is, and when it comes to defense, and he has then on top of that, and you got the talent with it. Oh, oh it's unbelievable. Yeah. And he did that from an offensive and and a defensive standpoint. But you got to mean he had the talent, but also he has the talent up there in the professional ranks too. Pete is a master at that, and he just he shows him the put. I mean, I mean, I mean him. When you think about USC football these days, you think of Pete Carroll and John McKay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you look at the historical part, you look at me. You had Howard Jones in the '30s and the '40s, but. When you think about SC football, you think about John McKay and Pete Carroll. Of course, John McKay, you know, having the most success, having four national championships, and and the fifth and the fifth one was on his title. Was that was his team he recruited? Yeah. That John McKay, John Robinson coached and won the national with Charles White. The uh... so Pete, Carroll, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll is one is is I thought was the best in college football when he was doing. He was doing. He's one of the best in the pros too. Yeah. He's struggling a little bit, but he's going to be there at the end, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, agreed. One of the questions I have uh, is regarding let's let's start with Notre Dame. Um, you know, there are certain games. You know, like you said, there's a high standard expected out of SC football, and, when, and that comes along with not losing to Notre Dame and UCLA, for sure. Uh, Stanford and Cal, you know, and you know, recently in Oregon. Um, they lost to Stanford. They lost to Notre Dame. Uh, they still have, uh, you know, Cal, uh, Oregon, Arizona, Utah. They still have a tough schedule ahead of them. Uh, but how 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 bad is it? You know, you're no, you're known as a Notre Dame killer. I mean, what's it like? Uh, you know, just the fact that SC loses to Notre Dame, but the way they the way they the way they lost this year. Well, the thing is, the problem with Notre Dame is that look first, the coach the coach was just missing fire. That's very disruptive. They had to get on a plane and get out of there. Matter of fact, they, they, they this time they took them out a day earlier to prepare because of all the distractions. Right. I mean, first of all, 
that's always an emotional game year in year and it affects a player's individually different from the next player to the next. But the bottom line is Notre Dame was definitely more prepared because it was a home game for them. And SB was going doing the same thing basically under the Sarkeesian, the Sarkeesian system. Nothing, I saw nothing different in this game. Right. And then I feel also when, when you go through a, a removal of a coach with these young, with these young kids, for, and even if it's, a, it's the pro rank, it doesn't matter. If you go through a removal, that affects your team, your team rhythm, your team psychic, everything. You know, even though you know you got to stay, try to get focused, you got to do that. But at the end of the day, going into Notre Dame, uh, I felt that they were going to have an issue back there, anyway, which of course they lost. And and, and frankly, the score could have been. 50-something to 31, or even more, if they don't fumble that ball down down at the end zone. So I'm just saying to you, uh, I think they were into the game and they fought through, trying to fall through all that stuff. That affected that team big time. And and it was a lot of pressure on that head coach. I felt for the head coach, because that's a hell of a position to be in coming in front of them circumstances. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I got to take my hat off him for even, even dealing with it. And he for the rest of the year, yeah. Because he is gonna have to. He's gonna have to win every game out next to have even a shot. Because, like you said, the schedule's the schedule. Utah's coming here, and you, I'm calling that a toss-up game. But of course, they're gonna have Utah favored and whatever comes. But, but they're, I believe they're number three in the nation. They're number three in the nation. They should come in favor, right? Well, they should come in favor. But I, I'm telling you, in the Pac-12, like I told you, the Pac-12 was flaky. <laughs> you don't know who will show up on, on on any given Saturday in the Pac-12. Right. You see, so I'm calling this game this week in a toss-up. I said it. I don't care if it's the number three team in the country, even though SC's not ranked. But I'm telling you, if you come to that Coliseum and those guys, if those Jackrabbits are on uh, in sync, you talking get blown out of that Coliseum. And maybe not. And it could be a seesaw game into the fourth quarter. Right. That's what I'm predicting. But the bottom line is Utah's going to be ranked based on the crazy system, the, the flawed playoff system, which anybody can beat you on any given day. You saw, you know, you saw Mississippi State did the Ole Miss. I agree, but you you got to give you got to give Utah its props. I mean, they're six and zero. I mean, they they're well, not I mean, they're not one of these they're not one of these teams that they got two losses that are still setting up in the top ten, top fifteen. I mean, they, you know, they're six and zero. So I mean, you know, SC's. Uh, you know they're gonna have they're gonna have their hands full, and, and I'm not saying they can't do it because you know I, I pull for them every every week, regardless. But uh, you know, no, no, no. Based on the current system and the way it is, yeah, they're ranked number three. Like I'm telling, you, it's a flawed system because how do you justify Mr. State coming in? And I'm using an example: six and zero, five or whatever their record was. They beat the number 13 team, Ole Miss, and they weren't even ranked. So how do you deal with that? So here we are, another scenario. Utah coming to the Coliseum, ranked number three. SC's not even ranked. So I'm saying if even if it's a close game, SC beats them. How do you do the ranking there? See, that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. But absolutely, Utah's undefeated. They're in the Pac-12. Their, their stat-wise is up with any any school in the country. But on any given Saturday, and FC is wounded, and they're mad and pissed off, they can march to that Coliseum and get beat. 
Yeah. But 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 I understand you put all the kudos to Utah because they deserve to be there. They're undefeated under the current system, but they can get beat by SC. You know, <laughs> and if they struggle, and if they struggle with SC and still beat SC, that's still a, as far as I'm concerned under the current system. They shouldn't be ranked number three if they struggle with USC. If if, if it's a 21-14 game, they shouldn't be ranked 23 in the country. <laughs> if they struggle, if if they struggle with USC, they should be ranked number three. Matter of fact, they, I believe they will fall out of three if they struggle with SC. If it goes on to the fourth quarter and they got to come from behind, they should be ranked number three. I guarantee they won't be number three if they do that. Now, if they blew SC out, if they beat SC 34-14, they're, they're worthy of the number three spot. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just focusing my, my you know, I'm just focusing my attitude on the current system how it's set up. Yeah. Because as it is last week, an undefeated team that wasn't ranked beat the number 13 team. Well, so, yeah. how you, so, so where they rank? Uh, absolutely, you, yeah. You see, how do you rank Nippon State now since they beat the number 13 and they weren't even ranked? Right. So, so, so if SC beats Utah, number three team in the country, do you put them back in the top 25 or do you keep them out of the top 25? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm saying to you. It is. See, it's never. It's never. That's all you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 that, that, that's why the system. That's why they should go through a full fed system, conference yeah. to conference, feed up the number one who win, and that's it. But this stuff, and, and then now they're talking November. They got this committee that's gonna pick who's gonna be the top four teams. That's crazy. How can you do that? That's unfair. That's unfair to the Memphis State. And yeah. stuff like that. So that's all I'm saying to you. So, yeah, does, does Utah deserve to be in the number three spot? Absolutely, based on the current system way it's set up. But if USC, and they come home to the Coliseum floor, and they beat, if they beat Utah, and if Utah struggles to even beat them, they don't deserve to be number three. But if SC beats them, you're, gonna, you're messing up the whole system. Just like Memphis State did the whole mess. Right. Okay, now is, it, is, 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 is Memphis State ranked in the top 25 now? Give me a second. I have to pull up the top 25. Man. You, you, got me, you got me. You got me. looking at. I was. I was only looking at a SC schedule a second ago. Now I got to look. I got to move on over here and pull up the whole thing here. I'm gonna pull up the AP poll. Let's see here. All right, we got Ohio State number one. This is AP. Uh, Baylor. Uh, number two. number two, Utah, number three, TCU, four, LSU, five. Those are all undefeated teams. Uh, Clemson is six. Michigan State is seven. Those are all undefeated teams. Okay, now Alabama comes in at six and one at eight. Florida uh-huh. State comes in at nine at six and zero. Oh. Stanford is 10 at five and one. Notre Dame is 11 at six and one. Iowa is 12 at seven and zero. Oh. Florida... 13, 6 and 1. Oklahoma State, 14 and 6 and 0. Texas A&M is 15 at 5 and 1. Michigan is tied for 15th. That's weird. At 5 and 2. Uh, Oklahoma is 17th at 5 and 1. Memphis is 6 and 0 at 18. You're right. They're they're still undefeated. Uh, Toledo is number 19. Cal's 20. 
Houston is 21, Temple 22, Duke 23, Ole Miss is 24, and Pitt at 25. So you only got two teams in the in, in the top twenty five in the Pac twelve. Well, you got, out. now you have Cal. Yeah, gone. Let's see. Let me hang on. So you have Cal and Stanford and Utah. Well, Utah, you got three teams. Yeah. Okay. And my favorite is Stanford. To me, Stanford's a team to beat in the conference. They're sitting at five and one. I don't care if Utah's number. I don't care if Utah's number. Utah has to prove to me they're worthy of being undefeated. If they struggle with either them, if they struggle, if they struggle any time out, if they struggle with Stanford, if they struggle with SC, they're not even in the top twenty-five. Then they're gonna throw. They're gonna throw the whole top twenty-five out of whack. Well, they've they, they've beat some decent teams this year, haven't they? Well, I'm telling you, USC. Look, USC can beat Utah. I, even though, I mean, if you want to, Anthony Davis is crazy. He's a lunatic. He's smoking something. I'm just telling you, if those Jackrabbits show up and do it from a sandlock standpoint, and they do it of their own without the coaching, that can happen. If Kessler's not thinking about other things and focus on the on the football field, that can happen. If he doesn't make any bonehead mistakes under this current stuff they're trying to do, they can beat Utah. Let's, uh, but but as, as, so let's stay focused and let's stay the, let's stay in the fantasy land now. Utah is number three, and Utah is going to beat SC Saturday. That's uh, how the polls are projecting this, and that's how people think it's going to happen. They've beat they've beaten Michigan, they've beaten uh, Oregon, they beat Cal, uh, Arizona State. That's a big deal. Utah State, Fresno State. Now, but they beat they beat three three decent teams. I mean. Uh, see, Oregon's number thirteen. Cal's number twenty-three. Um, you know, Michigan—they uh, beat them first game out. The, the, you know, so out of their six games, they've beat three quality teams. And they—I mean—they routed Oregon sixty-two to twenty. But they didn't have the quarterback in there. But he also—I think—I think that you know, Oregon. I don't know about Oregon. Oregon sometimes. Tinkle bells show up, and sometimes the smoke bears. <laughs> so I don't know. I, you know, Oregon. I mean, I got my boy up to Oregon. I got the guy named Nike up there, Phil Knight, and who I've known for years, and Nelson Ferris, and you know. And I told uh, one of my associates about the national championship game last year. Right. I told them Ohio State would beat him. I called it. I called it because I knew if they stopped Oregon, they had to make Oregon do today what they don't normally do, which that's what happens. That's what happens if you play teams like that. And the same thing with FC. If you stop the Sarkeesian offense, you stop this. You make them do something that they don't work on. That's what I mean by justice. If you throw them out of that scripted mode, what they do, game planning, you stop. You stop. You stop the Sark offense. You stop the Oregon offense. So that's that's what they have in similar stuff. The same thing with Lane Kiffin. Now, the situation with Lane. A lot of people didn't understand the hire Lane Kiffin with Alabama because of Saban's way of running football. Saban is a power football guy. He's power football. Now, you know, I know, you know, uh, I know Lane Kiffin's trying to implement some of his stuff, but at the end of the day, you better go back to the Saban way of playing football. And frankly, they should be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so now what they got to do is they got to fight to get back into the top five or top four. I don't even know if they can get back there. 
because yeah. of the current if everybody keeps winning up there, they're not going they're not going to the championship game. If everybody keeps winning, they're not going. Right. That's it. Right. See, that's the problem. See, they can win they can win the they can win the F C C outward and won't be and won't be able to try to play in the playoffs. That's how that's how flawed the system is. Well, the top seven teams are undefeated. Uh, and, you know, as opposed to a couple of weeks ago, I think we had some some one loss teams in, the, in that in that in that in that. Okay, mix. now check this out. Now, listen, listen, audience. The top seven can win all their games out, but guess what? There's only four going to the playoffs. <laughs> There's only four going. <laughs> so, 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 so if they look at so, for example, they take the top seven. If they take the top seven, and any of those teams in the top seven, according to this committee, doesn't play up the circle of their ranking, and they don't perform the way they think they should, they can take the top seven guy and put him in a number four spot. He could be in the playoff. That's yeah. how crazy it is. Right. Well, they could take the number six spot and put him at number one, which that's not going to happen because Alabama, because Ohio State's winning and beating everybody. So that's a, so. So, so the sacred spot is number one. They're not going to touch it unless Ohio State gets beat. So I'm just saying if, they, if, if, if the straight seven stays the way it is, they're not moving. Right, no moving. So these whacked out, this this committee they're going to put together, this whacked out committee, they, if, if they said, well, so-and-so didn't play well enough and they didn't beat them bad enough, so we're going to take them out of the number four spot and put them at the seven spot and take the seven guy and put them at number four. They can do some crazy stuff like that, you which know, is unfair. What I what I'm a little uh, curious about, you know, they have these these some of these, these you know, some of these athletic directors are on these committees, and you know, and there's some. You think there's some uh, some backdoor shenanigans going on some nice times when we talk about these uh, these top picks when when it comes to the playoff system because you have you have athletic directors from major programs that are involved in these committees. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we might not have made it this year, but if I give you that, if I give you that nudge this year, don't forget about me next year. I mean, do you think any of that shit that's going on? Who knows what's going on? But then the, the day, athletic direction need to be on that committee, right? They should, they should have, they should have independent people, football people, away from all the universities. That's what they, they, they should have some former players on the committee, collegiately good profession. Where they should need people on that like that. People totally away from all. No one affiliated with any school should be on the committee. Yes, period. I agree. I agree. Hey, let's uh, let's shift gears on a couple things uh, while we still have time. Um, no, nothing against uh, Clay Helton. I know he's trying to get a job done. He's he's interim coach. He's accepted that just like Ogeron did. But uh, you know, there's a lot of talk. And some of the talk I've heard recently is uh, Jeff Fisher. Uh, you know, over the the, the uh, Rams coach. Um, you know, people banty names about, and it doesn't mean anything, but it's good conversation, good radio conversation. Uh, you know, it's a former uh, player there, an alumni. Uh, you know, when they when they start talking about you know next coach, next head coach, who 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 pops up in your head? Well, first of all, I mean, I don't even know anybody pops up in my head. I don't care who it is. At the end of the day, they can bring anybody in there. They can bring Belichick in there. So, yeah, they can bring Pete back. The bottom line is, you got to put your stamp of approval on it. You got to put your system in place. That takes time. It's, it's see, football, college, and pro football is academic. People tend to forget that it's called system. Academic. You got to learn new terminology. 
You got to feel what the coach is feeling. You got to anticipate what the coach will do. I mean, you take like the Belichick with, with Tom, and I always go back to those guys are so insane. They know what Tom Belichick is thinking the same way Tom Brady is. That's where SC has to get back to. Okay? Yeah. The coach has to get in there, implement a system, get everybody on page, thinking the same way that takes time. If you're going to get this man five if I'm a coach coming in SC now, hey, you got to give me five years, five solid years to turn this program around. It ain't going to be overnight. That's what I would say. If you want me, you're going to pay me this, and you're going to give me solid five years to turn this program around because that's what it's going to take. Regardless if I win or lose, you need five years. And I'm going to tell you why I need five years. i got to bring these players in. And if I see what these players are about, I'm going to build a system around these players given the situation. If I can get, if I can get this cop, these recruits. Now, you're dealing with opposition. You're dealing with people be committing. You're dealing with people, well, I don't know if I want to go. It's starting to come over. But if you get it, if you get that kid that thinks like a Stanford kid, well, I'm going to Stanford just I'm getting my education first. Football right. second. That's how you got to think. See, what kind of kid are you going after? These kids today, what I emphasize, you'll be going to school and get an you go get an education first. And you get your knee blown out and you get this. Focus on academics first. Right. And if you got a coach that's going to be there that's, going to, that's pushing that, well, he can push it, but he can get fired in two years. Well, that's another <laughs> good question. On, you can see what's going on at USC now. I mean, so the thing is, don't go to a school because of coaching. You can you you be a great player. You go to the school first. Oh, by the way, I'm going in for education, and then I'll listen to what the coach says about football because I don't know if this coach is going to be here another year or two. Right. Well, that's good. It brings up a good brings up a good question. Let me just do this real quick. You're listening to Swoops World on Talk Star Radio Network. We're here with uh, five-time USA national champion and two-time All-American, the great Anthony Davis. Uh, Ad, one of the, the question, one of the other questions you brought up a good thing, you know, about the recruitment and, and picking a school because of academics. But on the on the coach's side, and you you said, you know, I need five years. You know, the next coach should get five years. I really find it offensive lots of times, and, and I don't hear this from the coaches, I'll say that, but I do hear from the pundits. You know, they'll say, oh, you know, he's playing with the the last guy's recruits. You know, he, you got to give him time to get his recruits in. I mean, if you're a coach, and like you say, you build your system about the, around the talent you got, you've accepted that job, you've accepted that responsibility for the players that are there now. Uh, do you think that's a fair argument to make that, uh, you know, I'm playing with the, the last guy's recruits and you know, I'm coaching the last guy's recruits? You know, it doesn't matter. Forget all of that. Quit, quit throwing that hyperbole out there. And quit, quit all that crazy bloviating. That, that doesn't make any sense. Just go do your best you can. You can state that. But look, you know, you're, you're a coach. You have, you, you're getting paid to develop these kids and build a system around them. You do the best you can. And in long ways, so oh, by the way, this really is not the, the guys that I want, but the bottom line is based on, and you shouldn't even care about what these are your guys. You, got, you need to figure out what you can do with that given talent. So stop using that excuse. Okay? That's it. Because it's very confusing to a kid when he comes in. You're changing systems. You're changing terminology. So you need to work with the kid and do the best you can. The ability you have is the ability to be able to turn the program around quick. And that's going to be difficult to do. So just stop talking that crap and stop talking about, you know, those are not my players. Well, <laughs> you get a good and you, and you that's what you have to do. Yeah. So if you win, fine. If you lose, you lose. That's the way it is. 
it's a game. It's a coaching thing. And, and the coaches I find that can get in there and turn it real quick are the ones that have longevity. And there's a few of them out there. I don't even have the name. I've already said it before. <laughs> hey, but, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, something, you know, football people say, well, that's not my guard. It's not this, not that. Again, you, you look you look at the fact, you look what Atlanta's doing with the talent. The same talent when the coach left. <laughs> that, coach came there, that coach came there and filled the post. And Atlanta only has one loss. Right. Period. Because all it is is terminology system. And they saw the talent they had. They got the same players there, same running game, same, same, running, same running back, same wide receivers. God came and saw what these guys can do. He molded himself around what they can do, and that's why they're flourishing. Some coaches, most coaches don't do that. They say, I've got a system. I want this guy to do it this way. Well, no, you got to figure out how this car runs, and you add a certain octane and gas in that car to make it do based on what you see, what he can do. I know I'm going deep, listeners, but, I mean, that's what you, <laughs> that's what you have to do. Well, you know, you, like, man, if, you saw, if you saw a beautiful female and you like, you can't change her. you got to mold into what she's about. Period. Let me go there trying to change her. She is what she is. <laughs> and I know you might need to work with that. You know? Well, one of the one of the things I want to ask you about because yeah, you know we've talked about it and, and I and I heard I've heard some um, something recently, uh, and I just want to touch on this lightly because I got about three other things I want to I want to talk to you about. Um, the New England Patriots and you talk about Belichick, they have a history of uh, letting players go or trading players or whatever, and then eventually bringing them back. And when they bring them back. They can fit right back in the game. They don't have to wait a couple weeks. They can bring a guy back and, and stick him in the game. You know, the same you know same afternoon he flies in. And and I, I heard one of the uh, uh, announcers talking about that, and he says, you know, that uh, it was talked about. I don't know if they actually talked to Belichick about it or, or who they talked about. They talked to somebody associated with the team about that, and they said, yeah, they love that because they, these guys already know the system. They understand, you know, the game plan. And, you know, if a guy comes back, you know, they have a history of bringing guys back, and they, and they fit right back in. That's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, he, he, he's developed a culture around there. He's been there 13 years. Mm-hmm. 13 now. He's built, that's a dynasty. That's a, that's a fundamental dynasty they have there. The Belichick-Brady thing is, is a phenomenon. And that's right. Guys can come in and like, okay, I'm going to put this puzzle on the shelf for a while, but I'm going to bring Oh, I need to use it. I'm going to take it off, so I'm going to put it down the place, and it's going to work. And that's exactly what they do. I mean, they're always there. They're always a team to beat in the in, in NFL, and they, they definitely are the team always to beat in their conference. Right. They just have the hand on the pulse. I mean, he, you can say whatever you want about Belichick. Belichick, this and whatever. They have it in sync. And it starts from the ownership all the way down. And I've always said you win championships in the front office, not on the field. Yes. So they, they have they have they have a great system there. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things, and I and I bring this up frequently. Now I don't get paid by this company. I'm not a shill, but I love that show, A Football Life. Um, I want to talk about two episodes. The one last week's episode was on Alan Page, uh, who actually led the strike season the season I think you entered the NFL 
your thoughts. You played against Alan Page. Uh, you, you remember that era. What were your thoughts on Alan, man? I thought he was a great player. I mean, on and off the field. I mean, he's, uh, he's a judge now, and and uh, unfortunately, he never won a Super Bowl. He went to four. Mm-hmm. And, uh, him, you know, Fran Tarkin and, and Chuck Foreman and all those guys. Uh, I actually watched them play against the Raiders here in the, the, the Rose Bowl. No, I mean, I, you know, I saw that. I mean, you know, they, they just never, you know, they just never got that big one, just like Buffalo. But the bottom line is, uh, I thought he was a great player. Uh, of course, a great Notre Dame player. He got a great education in Notre Dame. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him academically, even more so than I have as a football player, even though he's a great football player. Yeah. You know, I've heard him. I'm watching him talk. I know people that know him. I mean, he doesn't know. I mean, he knows me because what I the way I performed against Notre Dame and stuff. But the bottom, I have a lot of admiration for him and a lot of respect for him. Always have from a distance. Yeah, uh, I've always I've always admired admired him and like you said, and his intelligence as another well. Thing, another thing, what I like about Allen as well, and let me say this also, you listen, you listen. You know, he grew up in the era of Jim Crow. He was in the '60s. He came in the '70s. He was a pioneer coming out of Notre Dame and stuff. So I'm just saying, you know, uh, he's, those are the kind of guys who broke it down and knocked the walls down for me. Yeah. So that's why I have a lot of respect for him off, off the field as well as on the field, even more so off the field. That's just me. You know, so, I mean, I always admire the forefathers that came before me. Right. And he's one of them. I don't care if he went to the University of Tinseltown or <laughs> going, to, going to Notre Dame. He's the guy that you, that, that you learn to respect. And all these younger, these other players, especially these young African American players, you need to look up to guys like him, because he's the guy, and the Jim Browns and everybody else that's the reason why you're doing what you're doing today. You take your head off the guys like that. Yeah. The last one I want to talk to you about is uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's going to be this week's uh, uh, edition of uh, Football Life, but another player that I, I really enjoyed watching over the years. I don't know if you knew, know much about him or whatnot, or if he, I think he, you guys were playing around the same time. Uh, Steve Largent. Yeah, you're talking about the, Seattle, the great Seattle Seahawks wide receiver. Yeah. So I played again. Great position, you know, possession receiver. Him and Jim Zorn. You know, the combination. Yeah. Politician, smart receiver. Didn't have the greatest speed, but he maximized everything that he had within him. Got respect for him. You know, the, you mentioned you, you got you made a point there. there. There's another guy that I used to uh, I watched a lot, and he didn't appear to have a lot of speed. And I never ran against the guy or anything. But same type of thing. A receiver seemed like he was always open, always in the right place. Oh, uh, you know, did amazing things. Was Chris Collinsworth, man? Uh, uh, you know, some of these guys. I mean, we talk. We talk a lot about the Jets out there. The guys who had had the had the speed and the hands and made amazing catches and and things like that. But you got to give props to these guys that that seem to always find themselves open. I mean, Bolitnikov, another guy, always open, always always there at the at, at the clutch, at the right time. Uh, you know, you weren't a receiver, but you know what. What is what, what what causes that? Are these guys running just running great routes? Do they do they read the defense better than a lot of players? I mean, what makes a guy who seems to have uh, you know less speed, uh, good hands, uh, you know not not you know you know not great mobility, but uh, always in the right place and the right time to make the big play? Well, first of all, discipline. 
these guys work on that. When everybody's going off, they're still working on their craft. And these guys, you know, like Bonifikov, Chris Collinsworth, all those guys, they've gotten them. They get, they got, they get them. They got, they got the most out of their their God-given ability. I mean, they, you know, they didn't have the Cliff Branch speed or the Bob Hayes speed, you know, the Otis Taylor speed, or all the great receivers down, you know, over time. But I'm just telling you, these guys maximized everything they did. They ran discipline routes. They did timing routes. They were right there. And I tell you, those guys had the people that I just mentioned, oh, my God, he's got to do something else. But, but the bottom line is that's what it is, discipline and hard work. The uh, last but not least, let's talk about the tight end positions uh, for a little bit. You, you look at guys like Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, and, and Gronkowski, uh, big guys. A lot of them, a lot of them got basketball backgrounds. They seem to, they seem to be able to, to, to box out and leap and make some amazing catches. You know that position has really come alive over the last uh, you know ten fifteen years. Uh, you know, what do you if you're if you're a coach now you're looking for uh, you're looking for the next great tight end. What what what, what are you looking for? What what attributes uh, excite you? Well, those the three guys. Yeah, uh, Antonio Gates, Gonzalez, Wondowski. Those are the guys right there. Those are the guys that set the standard. They set the standard of what the, the next great, you know, of course, years before. I mean, you got the great John Mackey, yeah. who, who I believe was ahead of his time. He, he set he set the tone. But you're talking about guys that are big, six foot four or five, that are big and mobile and got some speed. Those, those, that is the prototypical tight end is out there now. Now, since we talked about that, but all the guys I mentioned, if you put any of those guys, what Bronkowski is, they got a super. They got Super Bowls too, but uh, that's how great they are. You know, Tony Gonzalez is a great one. Antonio Gates a great one, and uh, and and and, and Bronkowski up there at the Patriots is a great one as well. Yeah, they have set the tone of how the tight end is how they're going to look and how they're going to draft tight end in the future, as far as I'm concerned. Because they, they they become a major part of an offense, and the Patriots have shown that with him. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's just kind of an amazing, kind of amazing, uh, the way he plays the game, and, the, and like you said, the Patriots, he's always there when they when they need him. They, he's always the right spot when they need him, and and, uh, and you know you see guys like that. <clears throat> I'm not sure if Kellen Winslow was a tight end or not. I remember I remember his his era of, of down there at San Diego, but he kind of kind of reminds me of the the same type of play. Um, but uh, it's 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 amazing to watch these guys, uh, you know, come through in the clutch, you know, consistently. I mean, Gates, uh, you know, him and Rivers, uh, I think they've set all kinds of records as far as uh, you know, quarterback, receiver, and quarterback tight end uh, are concerned in the history of NFL. Uh, so you you kind of watch these guys, and you, and you you know you get a kid who's got that kind of size, but with some speed, you know, so that's a good spot for him if he can block. Well, the bottom line is they they're, they're all great blockers, they're all good receivers. Y'all may run great routes. They're in sync. So, I mean, that's what they have. I mean, they're exceptional tight ends. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, everybody thought that after the, the great John Mackey, who did the same thing, was a smaller in stature, but he was a beast himself. But, but, but these guys are bigger. They might be a tad little faster, but they run great right in their, in their integral parts of their offense, especially Bronkowski with the uh, – with the Patriots, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's part of that arsenal with with the Patriots. I mean, he's more essential to, to, to in their offense than any anybody in football. So when you look at him play, 
That just shows the standard you have to play to in that position. Last but not least, AD, let's talk concussions. Uh, you got the book out, uh, you know, How the uh, Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain. You got the, the movie coming out with Will Smith. Uh, let's touch on that a little bit as we wrap things up. Well, the thing is, uh, <clears throat> next month, you know, and uh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a uh, doing an autograph signing of the book and photos on the book. Kickoff concussion at a place called Frankenstein. I think in the city of uh, industry. Mm-hmm. You can check that out. Double check that. And then also, yes, the book is. Uh, and the movie's coming out December 20th for Christmas Day. Like I've told people, uh, Will Smith's done a great job portraying Dr. Bennett O'Malo, who uh, discovers certain things and contributes to the fact of, of what happened in the, in the NFL lawsuit with concussion pain. And it's going to be a wake-up call in terms of this movie. I mean, unfortunately, it's going to ruffle some feathers, but it's, it's telling the truth. Right. Uh, it's a serious issue, and I just believe the NFL should take note to the fact that it's a serious thing. But like I've always said, I'd like to see a comprehensive supplement program while the guy's playing and, and after they retire. And I, I would like to see a hyperbaric chamber treatment for all the players currently playing. And I can see lifetime medical for guys that played in the National Football League and built and built this brand. So uh, that's what the movie's going to demonstrate. I know some of my former colleagues and, and current colleagues, they understand what's going on. They're very aware of it because this is a serious issue. And uh, I'm glad I'm a part of it. And, and people go read this book. You can get it on Lulu.com, Amazon, the whole deal. And, and I just want to promote the book based on the substance of it, what's really going on with me, and and uh, and I'm glad I caught it because some of my colleagues, I'm telling you, are in bad shape. Yeah, some of them are in bad shape, and some of them not even here. So, go see that movie and go get that book. Absolutely, Ad. As always, it's a it's a pleasure and honor to have a chance to chat with you, talk talk sports, and uh, we'll do it again here real soon, man. Okay, thank you, Keith. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Yeah. Five-time national champion, two-time All-American over at USC. Uh, you know, as I always say, it's amazing his jersey has not been retired over there after all the things he did on that campus as well as uh, what he's done in the Rose Bowl. He should be in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. But, uh, you know, we, we will keep promoting that and keep uh, encouraging those who have a chance to make a decision on that to do that. We want to thank you for tuning in on here on Swoops World. We'll be back uh, in a few weeks, and uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Good night, all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.